Hello, and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Open Source, a place where we talk about all sorts of great things in the open source community and have a little fun while we're doing it. I got my, I got my coffee, so let's go ahead and get started. So today, my guest is Mordecai Zuber. Hey, hello, Mordecai. Hi. Or, and just as a heads up, Mordecai has a little bit of, uh, the internet has to go very, very far to uh for him to uh, be able to see uh do you want to just talk about yourself a little bit um i'm american born i live in israel now um been a developer for about six years yeah about six almost seven years now um i work for an educational nonprofit based out of new york um focused on jewish education that's awesome. So, I have a just a general question about open source and uh, what your experience has been. Right. So, do you remember the first time that open source appeared to you? Like, when was the first time you saw truly saw something, realized that it was built, you know, for free, also built for community enablement? It doesn't have to be software either. It could be anything. And the first exposure to open source I had was with 24 pull requests, um, which was a program that ran for a few years in December, trying to encourage people to make pull requests to open source. Um, one a day leading up to the holiday season. And so I was looking, I was a fresh, fresh developer when I first came across it and I was looking for something easy. I ended up on a project called, um, called Forkability, which had the goal of it had it was sort of it was a meta project basically to, you gave it a the URL of a repository and it would tell you if it's how how ready it is to accept contributors. So it was a tool both for people who are potential contributors who would wanna give something to the project that can come in and look and say, okay, this project has a readme, it has a code of conduct, it has an active maintainer. It's something I want to get involved in. It's the same, you know, on the flip side of the coin, it's something a maintainer could run against their own repositories to see, okay, this is where I can improve my repositories and encourage other people to contribute to my projects. And so I made a few small pull requests to that project, and then I ended up actually becoming one of the maintainers of it. Yeah, so that the other big, big, the other project I maintain that actually has users is a little watch tool for NPM scripts. Um, that also was something that I ended up, I used it on a project, I contributed a fix or two, and the original owner said that, you know, he's not using Node anymore. He's, you know, so anyone's around that's interested, speak up. So. I spoke up. It was something I was using, something I had an interest in. Um, and, you know, that's still around. It just has a small issue of burnout because it was having a lot of trouble on Macs, which I don't have access to. And it was just like a, it, it became this somewhat of a vicious cycle of I'd get a pull request and I'd try and make a change and be chasing after people to. It was, trying to find someone who could help me test it 
and oh, it didn't work in this edge case, didn't work in that edge case. Um, so that's that's the other big project I've been involved in. That's awesome. So I think one of the things that I see over all of these people, all these interviews that I've had where I talk to people about open source, they have like a defining moment where they're like, hey, this is something really, really cool, and why can't I be a part of it? Uh, and did you remember, like, was it when you were working on that first project you mentioned? Was it something even earlier? Like, for instance, like some folks, they talked to me about, they were always tinkerers. So one of the things that they like to do is they like to take apart stuff, put it back together, um, just to understand how it works. And I feel like a lot of folks in the community have similar uh, personality traits, somewhat similar in that vein. Um, I'm not sure how much uh, I would of a tinker I would call myself of how much I would I do enjoy figuring out why things work how things work um, and in general in coding I, I find it easier and enjoy more taking a piece of legacy code figuring out what it does and how to improve it um, I, I think one of the biggest uh, points when I was working with uh, open source was when I got involved with the octokit.net project, which is a wrapper for the GitHub API in C Sharp and realizing that I could be involved in it. I could create, I could be involved in something making other developers life much easier. I could be involved in something that enables me to write tools for myself to get things done. No, that's pretty spot on. And for anybody who's not aware, like the Octokit, their entire organization, they do JavaScript implementation, Sharp, like they do awesome work. Um, I use them a lot for a lot of the open source projects that I do because I seem to care about GitHub interactivity a lot. I start to look at things, so you know, hats off to the Octokit folks. Um, so what do you, so kind of talked a little bit about what your current role Maybe talk a little bit about what your roles in and how they got to work. Um, so I started out just as a, I guess you call it an individual contributor working on a on a team. We had dedicated front-end people. I was came on as someone who was somewhat of a jack of all trades. I have a little bit of experience in databases. My main experience is in server side, and then I have a little, I dabbled in front end. So I guess what we call full stack developer. Right, so like if, if you ask me anything about like, okay, do you know network, anything networking, I don't really know what's going on. Um, sure. And, you know, there was a time when I was more focused on the front end, so I, you know, was actually writing CSS. I haven't written CSS in a long time, and it's good. Yeah, <laughs> better that way. Um, and then we're in a small team, and as some other, as some senior members moved on to other projects, I slowly, with the last six months to a year, I've been slowly moving into more um program manager position. Um, I, it's not really managing. It's more, okay, this is a project. Figure out the design. Figure out what you want to accomplish, how you want to accomplish, and get down, yes, get down into the gritty details of the implementation and make sure it happens. 
That's awesome. So one of the things that you mentioned, and I kind of cut you off, and I apologize, but you kind of mentioned like this concept of a back developer, right? Um, you know, obviously everybody kind of has their areas of interest. Like for me, I've always been a C sharp developer. I've been forced to learn uh, the front development not very well. But so, do you have a preference? working on stuff like you mentioned you started out in server side and doing database stuff um but like when you're doing something or starting up something from scratch just as a concept or yeah i just want to see if i can make this happen like, what do you usually start out with up until about three or four months ago the answer would have always been c-sharp um as i'm getting more exposed i've been using typescript for four or five years already. But as TypeScript improves, as I get more experience with the type system and the flexibility of it, when I'm prototyping something, I'll these days I'll reach for something like TypeScript. Oftentimes with an eye to, if it's pure server-side, I will have an eye out to move it over to C-sharp once things start getting a little bit more solidified. But for a very, when when API or the design is at a very fluid level, I find it much easier to work with something a little bit more dynamic than C Sharp. That's great. So I'm gonna lead to this question. Like, so you mentioned like if you prefer to do like you start prefer to start like in the TypeScript area um, because you can kind of uh, get started very quickly. Um, what are your thoughts about Blazor, especially WebAssembly Blazor, right? Like, you mentioned that you love C-sharp, and, you know, unfortunately, C-sharp, and it's all done on the server side, like, you some of the great UI experience. But Blazor uh, fixes that to some extent, right? So what are your thoughts about Blazor? Um, I'll be honest, I haven't followed the project much since build 28 let's say 2019. Okay. Um, so that's a year and a half was the last time I really paid much attention because I don't have enough say in my department to say that we should sure. be using full C-sharp on the full stack. Um, it, it's something that if I was building a project on my own, I would most probably use. If I was doing a, a full stack project on my own, it's definitely something I would most probably use because I can have a high appreciation for having something typed all the way through I've dealt with enough. We have a few projects where the actual front end is written PHP, and then it has a little bit of JavaScript mixed in to call out to C-sharp API that maybe speaks to some other parts, and, and it's a mess. And we have no idea what one section is, you know, what one place is doing with the other. Yeah, it, it, you know, from my experience in, you know, be, do, developer, like you always end up with these situations where folks are, like, each team kind of has, like, their, I, we use this programming, like, we use this particular uh, setup. And then when you try to, like, because obviously, like, no software for in silo at the end of the day, eventually you have to do integrations with different teams. And it's always very interesting because if 
front-end team that's writing JavaScript is having to interact with some team that writes like a middle layer, of like using PHP, and then APIs that are in C sharp becomes very challenging, right? Um, I think the idea of doing anything, whether it's Blazor or whether that's you know, having Node all the way through, um, like there's definitely some huge gains, like not having to slow down to do efficient. For sure. I mean, we have some smaller projects that were Node the whole way through, you know, Node TypeScript and Vue the whole way through, and it, it was much easier. Um, for for heavy-duty server-side, I would still want to stick with C-sharp, though. So if I can... I need something strong type sitting in between the, the, the server and, and the front end. So, you know, on our main project, we're using GraphQL. So... We're not using anything that we're, we're writing. We're handwriting the SDL, uh, the definitions inside GraphQL, which is is I wouldn't necessarily recommend it um, if you're starting a project from scratch. If you're starting a project from scratch, make sure you're using try and find tooling that lets you generate most the generate the typings does most of the hard work for you. I mean, even when you're handwriting the SDL, it still makes it much easier to understand. Oh, okay, this is this is what I'm doing. And going back to what I mentioned about starting a project with TypeScript, that's the big advantage to me is you can write out the types. And when you're planning the project, if you plan from the types, it can help guide your project to where you want to go, to guide you to an actual implementation and help yeah. you on get into the domain and understand what you're trying to accomplish. No, I, I totally agree, right? And I think one of the things is really kind of stick with the tool that you like, and if you're forced to use a different tool, like, um, so yeah. one of the things that I'm very curious about, like, so you mentioned, so um, you mentioned that your team, if you had a choice, right, you would use potentially like C-sharp all the way through have you right so do you have any insight into what it doesn't have to be for your current project but for any project right it could just be you know, something that you've worked on like what ends up going into the process for building applications right curious what your thoughts are because is it a lot of people tell me it's literally like oh we have developers that know angular so we're going to build a front end with angular like, oh we have c-sharp developers back in with C sharp. Is that typically how you see it or is there a bit more thought in? Um I think the it's definitely has a lot of weight of what do the developers on hand and know. But I wouldn't say, okay, so if I if I only know C sharp I'm gonna stick with C sharp. There's almost every language has a similar language in in a parallel family. So I you know I know C sharp, but if most of the other members on the team for this new project know JavaScript, let's meet in a middle ground of TypeScript, which again, TypeScript, I wouldn't call TypeScript and, and C sharp are not that related at the end of the day. They have very different type systems, but it's similar enough that I can take a lot of the concepts that I know from C sharp and apply them in TypeScript. Yeah, very much so. Like it's very, it's very easy to, um, I guess, to realize that the wrote TypeScript also are not the person who 
came up with the original concepts and did a lot of the initial proofing of TypeScript actually same person sharp, right? There's definitely yeah. you look at like you can just look at an implementation of it's like a class with a couple of functions and class with a couple of functions sharp and you'll notice there's a lot shared kind of readability and it's just general like oh okay this is how you do it here this is how you do it and I think that's why a lot of people they like TypeScript if they've been C sharp developers, right? I think a lot of people yeah. looking at just a bunch of JavaScript code like vanilla JavaScript very anxious, um, especially if they come from a server side developer background. TypeScript definitely helps, right? Like there's that oh I kind of can read everything on here. Um, and the fact that it takes that code and it transpiles it down to JavaScript. It's yeah. I did have a I mean, question, but did you want to? Yeah, I didn't fully answer your question of how sure. how I see what, what to pick. So, you know, you do want to pay attention to what your developers know. But at the end of the day, there are domains where specific languages do a better job of getting done what you need. So that's something to keep in mind. If, you use, if you're building a standard line of business application that's, you know, and I'm not making light of anyone's hard work but w what i'm doing it can't be done in excel i mean not without the same amount of work they were doing in building an actual application but it, it it's it's not a domain that i see that it would make a major difference what language you're using so then you use whatever you're comfortable with um and you know even for the mobile apps okay so we have a few mobile apps so but nowadays you have enough options of of things like react native um view has something else like that's that happens in most of our our front ends are in view but um, for mobile we're using react native because when we started the projects that was the most well-baked option out there yeah there's definitely something to that especially with enterprise development like Hey, I need to build an app X. Okay, what is like the de facto standard of building apps of that similar nature, right? And you make a pretty clear point, right? Like if you're building line of business data types apps, whether web client, you like it's they're very much they're very similar, right? Like. It's funny because I've written a lot of line of business apps in my career, and it's always like, okay, I feel like the projects are always structured the same way. <laughs> like I have like two right. projects, and like every like all the folders are very similar named. So even to the fact that if you go to look at my GitHub repositories, like structure is very similar. Like even the naming of the folders and naming classes, it's just because. Like if you're building an app that it's a database and puts stuff on a front end, the process is very similar to repository, maybe the logic chain. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about, like you mentioned about that you maintained and been a contributor to open source projects. So kind of talk to me through about how that experience is as a maintainer, right? Like one of the things um, when you and I were originally talking about you coming on stream show, uh, you know, you kind of talked about burnout a little, right? Where it's like you mentioned, oh, I don't really do a ton of open source contribution anymore because I got tired of it, right? 
I'd like to kind of get your thoughts about like, just the general feeling of being an open source maintainer, right? As somebody who's been one to a small extent myself, like I've had my challenge. I think the biggest challenge is dealing with, I mean, part of it has to do with the type of project I ended up with. Um, like some of my uh, some of my side projects that I threw out there and I've had some very interesting drive-by contributions from someone who was looking to build up his portfolios. He wanted to make a few pull requests and I said, sure. And like, so at that point in my life, I was doing a lot of traveling for work. So I was happy to talk with, like even had a call with him and a Google Hangouts call with him one day on the way home from work to walk him through some part of the code. Um, I've had people reach out to me on Twitter. Oh, hi, we're students from somewhere halfway across the world. And we decided to pick your project as part of our coursework on open source where we're supposed to practice pull requests and things like that. Do you mind if we go through your code? Do you mind suggesting an area for us to work on? Um, but for the actual projects that we work on, that, that I maintain, I happen to end up with a tool that's very hard to test. And, you know, even manual testing is very hard because it's a file watcher. And there's idiosyncrasies between every operating system, between every little, between every little configuration. And, you know, at some point it was like, I have a ton of work and I'm trying to also have a life. You know, I'm married, I have a kid. There's the whole fun and games of a work-life balance. And to just test out someone's change, it, it takes time. Yeah. And I, you know, also across multiple different projects, I had people come in and, you know, I have a little project that, I made when I was in school. We, you know, we had a hackathon in school, and we built a little bit, a little finance or finance management management system. And someone came and said, "Oh, you should be using CQRS here. I'll make a pull request to set that up for you." And I had never heard of CQRS before, and he didn't even really put in a link to any sort of explanation of what it was in the document of, of what it was in the pull request until I started well, excuse me sorry um, it was just like oh here's this concept go search the abbreviations I, you know, I asked him okay and he, so then he started in, in some issues he started sending me a little bit of material what's going on but at the end of the day it was a project that I wasn't actively involved in, and to go review thousands of lines of code that were changed, I was just like, yeah, I don't think this is going to get in. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting, right? Like, you, you, somebody comes across an open source project, and they immediately think, oh, this could be done a better way, right? It, the, the funny thing is, it's like, okay, let's let's decide to do this e-commerce pull request. You know, that it's one main... Like, there's some challenges in that, right? Like, yeah. things... One of the things that I tell folks um, that if they want to contribute to any of my stuff is like, look, you got to show me your test result. I do not want to test any. I have a hard enough time testing my own code. 
gonna test your right. Um, and that's helped. Um, it's also turned some people away, which I think I am good or bad. Somebody's not willing to uh, show me that their stuff works. Investment. Um, but one of the things as well I think is interesting in general is that in open source particularly, you have this concept of, at least that I see, you have this concept of being like, oh, I see something. Like, I would love it if it did this particular thing to fit my exact need, right? Which is really challenging from a maintainer perspective. You definitely don't want to be one person project school. Oh, yeah. Like in your situation, like I don't know anything about CQRS either. So like my first response was, well, okay, can you tell me why? And the person can't justify it like it's a, just an ignore button. Um, right. Yeah. Um, so is that kind of what led to your burnout? Is just like a lot of like people wanting to contribute in self-serving ways? And you having to do a lot of work in the process of ma managing it, and it's just like this isn't. I don't think that particular was. Sure. I mean, was the main factor. It was more just the slow buildup of. I took over the. I took over a project. I want to maintain it. I want to make it useful. And it's just the slow burn of playing whack-a-mole with different. Like the, the the main project, I think that really burned me out was again this npm watch project because it was just a slow burn of these small hard to debug hard to diagnose issues and it was like i mean people were trying to like, there, there was a small period of time that people were trying to help but it was you know when you're dealing with heisenberg heisenbugs it's very hard for you know for someone to come in and help, yeah. especially when, you know, there are other solutions. Oh, for sure. One of the things that I see that people are, it's not as much people, but as like large organizations, Google or Microsoft, or even some larger, like, third parties, like, they'll have, like, a test, like, Chocolatey does. Like, they have a, a test environment. Where they have like a VM or a suite of VMs that are running that basically do all the testing for your code, right? Like I've seen yeah. that a few times, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like I love that idea. However, like somebody to do it for their XYZ projects really. But it's one of those things where I was thinking the other day, if there was a, f and if anybody know, if anybody on the chat or anybody watching this later uh, knows of frameworks that exist to like build out environments that do that on the fly. That'd be very interesting. Like, if I could, if I'm building for npm, sure, right? Like, you, like you are. If there was a way for every pull request to like trigger, not like tests, because running tests is but actually like configuring an environment that does a suite of tests, right, in an actual environment, instead of just running some code test, which is valuable, but also like it's not the root. Right? I'd be very curious right. about that. I think Chocolatey does it pretty well, right? Like, if you ever look, if you've ever been a maintainer for a Chocolatey pa package, when you get submit, they basically give you, like, a build. They spin up some Windows 12 server that they go through the entire Chocolatey process of it, and then they uninstall your app, and then 
and if anything doesn't look right at the end of it, um, they say no thanks. Kind of cool, I think. I think it's pretty impressive, yeah. and yeah. But again, like you know, Mordecai or Isaac having that plugged into one of their open source projects is probably not going to happen. I would love to see if there's frameworks that exist to kind of bootstrap that. That that's something that would definitely be very interesting. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it, you kind of talked a little bit about what your day, like what you your work is, right? So when you were um, you know, and also you talked about some of the projects that you've done. So when you're looking out there for like, oh, maybe I'm kind of interested in thing, like what do you typically look for like in an open source project? Like what is a good open source project? Um, the, the main thing that, that I need is documentation. That's the first thing I look for. You know, even if it's an old project, that bothers me less as long as there's documentation. Yeah. Um, because even if it's an old project that, you know, therefore has a dependency that needs to be updated as something that's broken, but if it's documented and I know what I'm expecting to happen and I know what I need to do, then I can actually say, okay, worst case scenario, I'll say this seems to be a bug. Maybe I can propose a solution. Even if I can't, I can at least try and start a conversation. Yeah, that's it's pretty spot on. That's it's funny because our uh, my friend Scott Addy, who happens to work on the Microsoft ASP.NET Core docs, comes in. Someone say documentation. I think it's very very fair, right? Like as somebody who despises writing documentation, um, I appreciate yeah. And I've done a lot. Like I've contributed to docs as well. Um, I don't enjoy it as much as others, but I see the intrinsical value there. Right, like, like your point is spot on. Like, if I'm looking through, like, occasionally, like, I'll go and I'll just Google search and then put GitHub at the end of it, and I'll just look at some GitHub repository that do that particular thing. And the two things that you mentioned, right? Like, when was the last commit? I look at that first, and then I look to see if they have a wiki. If they don't have a wiki, and if they're like I haven't had a, a, a commit in a few months or even a few years, I'm very much like, okay, post tab. Um, but if they have a wiki, like I'm immediately like, okay, well, somebody's actually taking some time into making sure people know how this works. It doesn't have to be a huge, it doesn't have to be huge documentation, but like getting started is very, very valuable. A, like three or four lines of sample code to do something. There's a sample project, that's great. Um, one of the things I'm very, very guilty of is like, I built the thing so I know how it all works and everything, and I typically will never document, I'll never write a sample app, um, and probably, you know, it's a personality flaw, I guess you could say, uh, but I think that there's definitely some value in making sure, like, when you build an open source project and you have people use it, it's like four or five checkboxes writing a really good documentation set is right and i think most people don't have such an easy time writing documentation um i'm not the best at writing documentation either for me even even a readme that goes through the happy path of the public api is already a good start so don't necessarily tell me what all the possible exceptions are going to be sure or you know these are the errors you should expect. 
Um, but if you could give me at least the basic rundown of the happy path, that really makes a big difference. Yeah, most definitely. Like, I, I don't think anybody expects, like, docs.microsoft.com or Java Docs or whatever for open source repository, but there's definitely an opportunity to... One of the things that I thought about recently, if I could explain this project to a non-technical right, like, that would be really valuable. So, like, even yeah. just talking about what your project really does, like, that's, like, top level. There's a lot of projects that I'll see, and I'll be like, okay, what exactly does this... Do? I'm looking at the name. Name kind of makes sense, but, like, I have no idea what it is. So I have to, have to drill into code, which sometimes it's fun to look at other people's code. Sometimes it's... Um, especially if you disagree with their, their programming practices, you have bad programming practices they don't have, they have vice versa, right? Um, right. I do think that there's something about reading other people's code too, which kind of like tickles me a little bit. I don't know if you feel the same way. Like, I'll look at people's code and I'll be like, oh, that's a very interesting. Or if I don't agree with it, I'll be like, that's a terrible. Similar. You judge people by the code they write. I don't judge people by the code they write. I judge code by how it was written. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, I definitely. Sorry. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, Judge people. You can judge code, though. Right, and in general, I find one of the things that made one of the big advantages of open source that I found for my growth as a developer was being able to read other people's code. And even if it's a project that we're not necessarily going to use, but being able to look at code and try to understand how they implemented it and use similar patterns and practices in my own code is something that's to me is very valuable. No, I, I totally agree. Like for instance, I was talking to a friend of mine and you know, we're working on a project together right now. And told me, hey, like I committed to go to this phone. Oh, okay, cool, I'll take a look. And I, I, I messaged him. I said, it's funny because just I can look at the code right now and I know that you, like, I feel like everybody has a signature, right? Looks very similar every time. And I think that there's definitely, back to my point about project structure and like that, people write code a very particular way. Like, and that never changes. And it, it was just funny that I've seen enough of this per individual person's code that I'm like, yep, I know that person wrote that code. So yeah. it's, it's just very funny how that works, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things as well that I think is really interesting about open source in general is um, just the general, like, I, I had a conversation. Um, I had a conversation maybe it was earlier this week about how there are particular echo chambers in open source, right? And just in general in the tech community. And I've been thinking about that a lot over the last couple of days. And I'd like to know what your thoughts on that, right? Like we all kind of sit and hang out in the technologies that we're familiar with. And I'm curious to know, like, if you see similar things or maybe it's just something that I just think that's just pertains to there's there's definitely clicks when it comes to technology. There's yeah. there's no question. Um, I think the issue be, the issue starts when someone from within an echo chamber, someone someone from within a group, looks at someone else and says, "Oh, but you're not 
paying any attention to what's happening in our corner, so you have an issue. I think if someone knows a technology, knows a programming language, and it works for them, and they're happy, yeah. Don't don't try showing them why they shouldn't be happy. Yeah. So they're in a, not every echo chamber is is a bad thing. Um, I personally. I use on a day-to-day basis, I use at least two programming languages. Um, I enjoy, like, I would love to learn more languages if I had the time to actually invest in using them. Like, yeah, you can do, there's all sorts of websites for learning the basics of programming languages. I started doing the PHP because we have some PHP on the team, but I never, you know, just using an app, clicking through, okay, here's the syntax, will it run, won't it run, things like that. I don't know PHP. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very it's very interesting too, right? Like, if depending on who you follow on Twitter, especially, like especially who you follow on Twitter, like one of the things that uh, is really, really, really telling is whose particular, I guess you could say, uh, political or religious affiliation is, right? Like, it's very, very. Um, I'd love to know, like, when you go and look at like social media or tech tech blogs or on GitHub, right? Like, do you think that it's a good thing that like we all kind of hang out in the same little area, or is it kind of to what your point? Like, you work on two different programming languages. What are your thoughts about um, like trying to bridge the gap between areas? willing to adapt if someone brings you something. Yeah, so... Um, sorry, you were going to say... Sure that exactly answers your question. I mean, so... So, one of the things that I just noticed is that your audio kind of cut out a little bit, so let's just, um... Let's just say that you were, you were correct. I didn't really hear a lot of it. Sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's the beauty of uh, doing these things. I, would, look, I think maybe I can summarize a little bit better. Yeah. Don't be fanatic. Yeah. But you don't have to go searching. Sure. That's fair. If you're comfortable, you are fine. Like, I didn't... I've started applying a slightly more functional style to my code that I write. But not because someone came over and tried to convert me to be a to becoming a functional programmer yeah but rather because i try and follow various a, a, a range of people to see what's going on i mean i personally am interested in seeing what's going on and i'm not i, I see the value in functional programming and the um, level of functional programming i can accomplish in c sharp is enough for me so uh, that that I think is coming comes close to happy medium where I'm staying relatively in my bubble, but I'm open to 
accepting ideas from outside. No, and I think that's a really good way to think about it too, right? Like again, like like I mentioned, people are religious affiliates, right? Like you, everybody kind of has their their like you said. Books. I think one of the big things is that I see it in, in the reason why I bring this up is just like as somebody who's the .NET echo chamber, I see a lot of um really extreme opinions.net. And it's always very curious to me. I'm on one side particularly. Um and I don't really understand the other side, which is I guess is what the whole echo chamber. But occasionally what I've started to do is go into other areas. Like now I follow a lot of people that write in the Go. Um, um, I've, always, I've always been following a lot of JavaScript folks, but um, I guess the point of what this conversation I wanted to kind of bring up was like, it's very important for you to, in my opinion, to follow as many people that you think are interested. Right? Yeah. Um, even to your point, right? Like you might find out something that uh, you could go and take back to personal development or your technical development or what have you. Um, kind of hanging out with the same like 50 people is probably not ideal. Like one thing, for instance, I've started to do a lot of Python development. Um, I did Python development when I was in college and it was whatever, it was, okay. it was a project. But like I actually took a solid look at Python, probably starting about a couple weeks ago, and I like it a lot. Um, doesn't mean I'll ever write up. Uh, I'll choose Python over C sharp, probably not, unless a particular situation is appropriate. But now I can easily like, oh, I want to do something that interfaces with an IoT device. Like Python is great for that. Uh, C sharp isn't, but Python is especially great for it. Um, right. So I, I guess it's very, I guess my, my whole ramble, very important to try to see, try to understand and, and follow the opinion of others because they might teach you something. Right. Uh, I agree 100% with that. Uh, and I don't think developers need to be a polygon developer in order to be a good developer. Yeah. But it helps if you can recognize patterns in code in a language that you don't write. Yeah. Yeah. It's to that point, like I've, I tried to learn Go about a year ago. Um, and I'm, I'm contemplating getting back into it now. I just had a very, very hard time when I started to learn it, tried to learn about a year ago because it's so substantially different than it. Like just yeah. the general constructs of the language, I was having a very hard time wrapping my head around because I'm so used to C sharp. So yeah. I immediately gave up and I'm like, you know what, this isn't for me. Whatever. Um, I think I'm gonna get try to get back into it because one of those things where it's always good to stretch your your mind. Like sitting in something that's easy is kind of boring after all. So one of those things where even if it's hard and even if you're struggling through it, like doing something very very small is very satisfying. Yeah, and uh, like Go hasn't actually been on my radar, but like for I've wanted to go much deeper into TypeScript. I wanted to go Python is actually something I was considering for a little bit, but never really got much into it. I wanted to go. I wanted to because I started getting an interest in functional programming. I was, you know, I would love for an opportunity to use a functional programming language and the paradigm shift is strong enough anyway that I think I would 
use anything like I considered. I was at, I'm trying, I don't remember what conference I was at. Um, but like I went to a few different talks on Elixir and I don't remember what, I think, oh, cause I had, there was, there was a workshop where they said, okay, we're going to run through the same basic program in four different functional programming languages. Oh. Um, but then it's so, okay. So I sat there for the two, three hours. That was the workshop and put everything, you know, had a VM and installed everything and did the little exercise and that was it. Yeah. Because, you know, busy with everything else, I don't have a chance to actually invest in it. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's an interesting concept, especially like, it's, hey, we're going to do, like, we're going to do the same exercise and do it in a bunch of different ways, right? Like, that's very interesting. I've never actually seen that at a conference I've been to, but I'm very curious, like, that might be something Maybe, maybe maybe I'll try to do a workshop on that. I'll try. Maybe I'll learn. Um. Yeah. Cool. Well, when we do have comp, I guess you could do it on. Maybe I'll do it on Twitch. Um. So we're coming to the end of our time, and and one of the things that I always want to end our conversation with is I like to ask my guests like if you could think of one word to describe open source. What would that word be? Community. Community. That's very, very common. Like it's definitely one of those things where, you know, as strange it is, like most of my very good friends, like I've met the open source community, which is. So that that's the end of our show. So I want to thank my friend Mordecai for coming on. Um, you can follow him on, on more Zuber. And that's, so that's Twitter and GitHub, right? More Zuber on Twitter, M Zuber on GitHub. Okay, awesome. So that will be our episode of uh, Coffee and Open Source. Thank you so much for your time, and everybody take care. Bye bye. Thank you for having me. Bye bye.